Okay, good evening everybody. A very special thank you to Jonathan Bololo for sponsoring tonight's class. It's in honor of his Bar Mitzvah Parsha, and that means it's his birthday tomorrow. So happy birthday, Jonathan. And really on behalf of everyone, we'd like to express our appreciation for Jonathan schlepping down here every week, always getting things set up, and really being most renefish and, and committed to the shir. So thank you so much, Jonathan. <clears throat> I had to point out the cover page this week. So you have a man in the field. The title is Alone Together. So Michal and I were speaking about putting a yarmulke on him. But after looking closely at the picture, I realized there's really no need for a yarmulke. Because he kind of looks like it flew away and he's looking for it, right? (laughs) Where'd it go? What I'd like to try to do this evening is really paint two very different pictures of reality. Two perspectives that seem to be very different. And oftentimes, in Torah learning, it's not a big deal. You have different opinions, different approaches, different perspectives. And uh, there's a machlokis, there's a debate. In this case, what makes it very complicated is that both of these diametrically opposed views of life are true. So we're going to paint the picture of each one, and then we're going to explore how they fit together and how they actually need each other to work. So here's the first painting. We have in the Torah, this week's Parshas Bahar, the mitzvahs of Shemitah and Yovel, and the Torah tells us that the land should lay fowl in the seventh year. You're not allowed to harvest the field. You can't plow. You can't sow. You can't work your field. However, you're allowed to eat the fruits. You're allowed to get benefit from it like anybody else. So it becomes ownerless in the seventh year. They're not considered yours. Animals are going to walk in, strangers are going to come in from the middle of nowhere, you're going to look out your window and see random people in your backyard picking apples. That's what Shemitah is all about. And Rashi explains that although there's a prohibition of working the field, you're allowed to eat the fruits, you're allowed to get benefit from it, but you're not the Balhabayas. You don't own this field. It doesn't belong to you for this year. And there's a verse in Tehillim that says, Baruch Hashem, Melacha of Gibure Koach. The, the angels who are Gibure Koach, they have such strength. Ose Devara, they listen to the words of Hashem. Lishmoa Kol Devara. Who is that referring to? Who are these angels? The angels are Klal Yisrael, who are able to keep the mitzvah of Shemitah. According to many, this is the most difficult mitzvah in the Torah. We have many hard things we have to do. There are many challenging situations that we may face. But to do something for a day or to do something every week, it's one thing. But to look at your field that you've spent years and years cultivating 
and you're proud of your labor, and it's hours and hours a day, and you're sweating, and you're working, and you're toiling, and then you take the first fruits and you bring it to Yerushalayim, that's the mitzvah of Bikurim. That's how much we have an appreciation and a hakarasato for all of the, 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 the produce, the bounty of Hashem. Yet when it comes to year number seven, just watch everything you've worked so hard to create, die, and die slowly. And random people walk into your field, your precious garden that you wouldn't let your kids play in, it's being trampled on by animals and strangers. It's a very difficult mitzvah. Well, then we have the mitzvah of Yovel, that every 50 years, the Jubilee year, we know that's like the extended Shemitah, Every sale of land goes back to its original owner. And the Torah tells us, Land is not sold in perpetuity. The sale of land is not binding forever. And the reason for this is, Hashem says, because really the land belongs to me. You're strangers here with me. You're foreigners. This is not your soil, it's mine. Rashi and the Ramban both explain, why does the Torah have to tell us that the land belongs to me? What's the message of Hashem? Hashem is telling Klal Yisrael, don't feel bad, don't feel resentment that the land that you've been on now for so many decades has to go back to its original owner. No big deal. This is not really yours. Don't worry about it. Don't fret. It's not yours in the first place. And there's actually a mitzvah for the base then to count every year leading up to Yovel. Interesting connection between counting Sviris Omer to 50 days and then counting the Omer, counting for the Yovel rather, the 50th year. What's the point of the counting the base then? to keep us reminded that this is not going to be mine forever. So there's a clear theme behind the mitzvah of Shemitah and the mitzvah of Yovel. The Torah is telling us, this doesn't belong to you. You can work hard, I want you to enjoy it, but you're not the balabayas. If we live with that mindset, that... We're just strangers here. We're just foreigners here. That could create a paradigm shift in everything we do, how we view ourselves, how we view our life, how we view our pursuits in the world of Parnassa. Why do we indulge? Why do we sometimes go a little bit too far into Gashmias? Every community has their own challenges. I was speaking to somebody recently, and he was telling me that when it comes to making a simcha in his shul, people try to find excuses to have the simcha in a different shul. They go away for that Shabbos to their parents or in-laws, or they happen to be out of town. Why can't you just make the Kiddush in your own shul? Because it's way too much pressure. The competition, right? Last time when they made the bar mitzvah, they had this kind of cake that was like $140 and they brought this thing in from that bakery, and it's just, I can't compete. They, they bought liquor, this one bottle of liquor is hundreds of dollars, and the guy traveled to, to Ireland to get it in a special way. Where does that whole mindset come from? 
It comes from a lack of a realization that we're only strangers here. This is not our mainstay. We don't belong here. We're not going to be here for that long. There's a, there's a very interesting Pasuk in Devarim where Moshe is recounting the, the whole story of Klal Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim. And he says to Klal Yisrael, Rav lechem lechem tzvona. He's quoting Hashem. But Hashem said it's enough traveling around the mountain. Penu lechem tzvona literally means go turn north. But tzvon means north. And it also means it's hidden. Like the afikomen is it tzvon. It's hidden. Go hide. Comes along the kliyoker in the, uh, the 16th century, and he says this is actually a prediction for the future. Here the Torah is prophesizing the life of Klal Yisrael in the future. Source number 8. Writes the Kliyakar, Rabim Omrim, many say, Ki posik zeh noke v'yoreid atahom. This posik gets down deep. V'yesh boremiz l'shal adoros. And there's an allusion here for the future. What is the Torah saying you should hide? When is that referring to? If a person, a Jew, finds himself in Gullis and he's having some Hatzlacha, things are going well, and the business is flourishing, and he just bought himself a, a third car. Then Hashem's telling us, if you're actually making it, if you're doing well financially, don't flaunt it in front of Esav. Don't show it off. You don't find more jealousy in the world than you find with the nation of Esav and Yishmo. But this advice, and he's giving harsh criticism now, this this advice is the opposite of what the Jewish people are doing in these lands. Because the way it works is, if you have $100,000, that you want to show off as if you have two or three or millions of dollars. If you have a little bit of kavod, a little bit of prestige, you want to make sure that people think you're on top of the world, that I'm going to outdo them, I'm going to make a bigger kiddush, and a bigger simcha, and spend more money on the chasana. And then he ends up by saying something very scary. Minagzeh, this way of life, that we find amongst many of our people, again, he's speaking in the 1500s, this is one of the main reasons we find hatred and resentment in the non-Jewish world towards us. Because they can't stand the fact that we walk around as foreigners pretending that we own the place. So it's not just us having the realization that we're not here forever, this is not our place, we're not here in Olam Hazah. The outside world picks up on it perhaps more than we do, and it bothers them. An example of this we find with Martin Luther. This is not Martin Luther King. This is Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant movement, going back to the, uh, the 1500s. He was a vicious anti-Semite. And he has a famous piece entitled On the Jews and Their Lies where he goes through seven different suggestions as to what can we do about the Jewish problem. And I want to quote from you his second uh, piece of advice. 
And this was written in 1543, pretty much the same time as the Kliyakar, a little bit earlier. Second, I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed, for they pursue in them the same aims as in their synagogues. Instead, they might be lodged under a roof or in a barn like the gypsies. This will bring home to them that they are not masters in our country as they boast, but that they are living in exile and in captivity as they incessantly wail and lament about us before God. So exactly what the Kleocker said, when we show off, when we walk around as if we own the place, people don't appreciate that. Finally, the Jews will get the message that they're not masters in our country as they boast. We have Yehuda Wasser mentioned every Friday night when we have visitors here for Shabbos that please utilize the sidewalks where in fact they do exist. You don't have every street with a sidewalk around here, but there are two reasons for that. First and foremost, it's not safe walking in the street. It's dark outside. Cars may not see you. The second issue though, and this applies even during the day, people don't appreciate seeing from Jews walking around in the middle of the street as if we own the place. That rubs Esau the wrong way. That turns off Yishmol because sometimes they know more than we do that we're foreigners here. We don't belong here. Having to think, when people move down from New York, one thing that's hard to adjust to is driving like a Floridian. Now in the 95, that's a whole different story. That's a crazy highway. But at least driving around the residential streets, your average New Yorker doesn't flinch. He's going 45 and, you know, turning and zipping and some guy's about to pull out of his driveway. I'm not going to slow down for him. Rather, I'll just go as fast as I can to get behind his car. In a place where that's not the norm, it's not appreciated. And it all gets back to this same root. Don't pretend you own the place. So this is all painting that first picture. We're foreigners here in the world. We're foreigners here in Gullis. To get a little bit deeper, David Melech writes in Tehillim, Ger anochi ba'aretz. I am a, a, a sojourner. I'm a stranger in the land. Al taster mimeni mitzvosecha. Do not hide your mitzvos from me. It's a very strange pasuk. I am a, I am a foreigner in the land. What is he talking about? And what's the therefore? Therefore, don't hide your mitzvahs from me. Explains the Malbim that David Melech is telling Hashem, Shinafshi Hasichlis, the essence of who I am, my neshama, Einu Meitoshve Olam Achomri Hazah. It's not indigenous to this physical world. Kihi Meolam Acher. My neshama is from a whole different reality, a whole different dimension. So really who I am, I'm a total stranger in this world of restriction and physicality. And therefore, because I'm surrounded and I'm, I'm, I'm clothed in Gashmi, it's hard for me sometimes to, to really break through and understand, what do you want from me, Hashem? So because I'm a ger, because I'm a stranger here, my neshama is not at home in this world, 
and it's fogged and it's clouded by all of the physicality, please help me pierce through all of that. In the 1920s, in the Soviet Union, the, uh, the Soviet regime was really out to destroy religion and destroy any, any leftover little bit of Judaism. Rav Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who he himself tried very hard and he had many different campaigns to have underground yeshivas and mikvos and uh, kolalim in Russia, he was taken in and interrogated by the government many times. One particular famous case, he was brought into this room, it was dark and you had these big thugs asking questions, and they're asking about where, where do you guys learn, what are you doing, where's the synagogue, where do you pray, and Rabbi Schneerson isn't saying anything. So one of the interrogators takes out his revolver, and he says with a smirk, you know, this toy has a way of making people cooperate. And he points it at his head. Without thinking, Schneerson said back, he said, this toy is persuasive to someone who has many gods and one world. I have one god and two worlds. This toy means nothing to me. When you're living with the reality that Ger Anochi, I'm just a visitor here, this is not really where I belong, it gives you a strength, it gives you a bitachon, it gives you the ability to rise above challenges that you wouldn't have otherwise when you're trapped in the illusion of this world. We'll take it one step further to finish off the first painting. And this is the Chovos Halavavos, the Rebbeinu Bachaya in the 11th century, the first Musar Sefer ever composed. He has a, a shar, cheshben hanefesh, where he goes through 30 different meditations, 30 things to think about to, to inspire us and to enhance our Avodah Hashem. The last of his 30 meditations, he writes as follows. That we should contemplate, this is source number 12, that really we are gerim, we are strangers in this world. We're living in a land that's foreign to us, where nobody recognizes us and we don't know anybody either. It's just the, the, the master of the land has had compassion upon me that he allows me to be here. And if I'm picturing this, so what will flow from that is that I have to be ready to travel whenever I'm called to leave. I know I'm not here for good. I'm not going to allow myself to get too comfortable, to get too complacent, to get too embedded here in this world. And he quotes the Pasuk from Parshish Bahar, This land, meaning this world, is not here forever. So what does that mean for me? First and foremost, I have to cling to the master of the land who is having compassion upon me, and I have to realize that I have no friends. There's nobody there to take care of me. Nobody knows me, nobody sees me, nobody can hurt me, nobody can help me besides the master of the land. What would also come out of this mindset is, I'm not going to work so hard in my home I'm not going to spend years and years and years perfecting little things because I know I'm not going to have this house forever. Eventually some family will move in 
I'm going to be older and I'm going to be gone and they're going to destroy my garden and they're going to, they're going to get the walls all dirty. So I'm not going to spend so much time on the physical. And then he writes the last point. He said, Im Cain, if this is my reality, if I'm in a place that nobody knows me, what relationship do you have with anybody? What kind of closeness? What kind of, you, you, you think you have a brother? You think you have a sister? You have nobody. You're a stranger. There's nobody there for you except for Hashem. There's nobody there to help you. You're all alone. And he says in a very poetic way, I'm an isolated soul. I'm living in my own reality. That there's nobody accompanying me except for Hashem. That concludes our first picture of reality. Now, I've never seen the movie, but I've heard a lot about it. The movie called The Matrix. And the way it's been described to me, by many, is that whatever is going on, there's some kind of reality that's not reality. I'm not there. What we're, what we're seeing, what we're feeling, that's not really what's happening. I'm in a different place. And I think the analogy is, is, is wonderful. That's what the Chobos Levavah seems to be saying. We take the basic idea that we're a ger, we're a stranger in this world, we're a stranger in, in Gullis, we're a stranger in our physical body, and even when we're here, everyone else is a prop. No one could hurt me, no one could help me. No one can speak on my behalf. Everyone is just a prop. So with that mindset, you would have a lot of bitachon. It's just me and Hashem. Here's the problem though. And this is where painting number two comes into play. We know we have a mitzvah of ve'yahavta l'reyecha kamocha, That we have to love our fellow Jew. Now, you might argue that just means to do things for them and to take care of them and be concerned for them. But the Ramchal writes in the Mesil Yesharim, it's much deeper than that. When the Torah says, it means, You have to love them like yourself. With no distinctions. Whatever I want for me, I want for you. And if you don't get that promotion, I'm devastated. And if things are going well with you, then I'm mole simcha, I'm filled with joy. Kemocha mamish, I love you like my brother. There's a Gemara, Talmud Yerushalmi tells us, when it's speaking about what can we do not to take, a, not to take revenge, not to have this, this feeling of resentment when somebody does something towards me and I want to get them back. So the famous Gemara tells us, it's very simple. If you picture yourself cutting a vegetable, and by accident as you're cutting the carrot, your right hand slips and cuts your left hand, you cut your finger, or in my case, I'm like petrified now, whenever you open the cans, I'm still blown away. We live in 2018, and they still have tin cans. When is that going to evolve into something more user-friendly? Right? It's crazy. So when I was like 10 or 11, I was opening up a can of tuna for a cat that I adopted, which is a whole crazy story by itself. I named him Popeye until she had babies. <laughs> but we kept the name anyway. 
So I cut my finger and now I'm always hypersensitive when the kids are around cans. But if you cut your, your finger your, on your left hand, would it make sense to now take the knife and stab your right hand? That's crazy. Why wouldn't you do that? You should get the hand back. The answer is, well, the hand's part of me. I'm not going to get myself back. We're all one. That's how we have to view our fellow Jew. We're all brothers. We're all sisters. We're all one to the point where how could I possibly take revenge? I'm taking revenge on myself. Even on a spiritual level, Rashi tells us that when at the end of Parshas V'yishlach, where it lists all the descendants of Esav, it says the plural, nefashos, the people, the souls. Yet, Parshas Vayichi, where it's talking about the 70 people that went into Mitzrayim, the descendants of Yaakov, it says nefesh in the singular. 70 nefesh. So Rashi explains in source number 15, Lefisha hayu ovdim lelohus harbei, because Esav worshipped many gods, that's why they're referred to as separate people. Yaakov Shivim Hayu, Yaakov had 70 in his family, not just six, but yet it calls them Nefesh, one Neshama. Why? Lefishahaya Ovdim Lekelechad, because they worship just one God. So it sounds like Rashi's saying, when we worship Hashem Echad, that creates this spiritual reality that we're all one. We only have one Hashem, and therefore, we're all one together. This almost sounds like the exact opposite of what I would have derived from picture number one. Picture number one is, it's just you and Hashem, and everyone else is a prop. No one could touch you, no one could do anything for you. Not even your family. But now Rashi's telling us that no, we have to love each other like ourselves, and when I have bitachon, when we believe in Hashem is in total control, then we're literally spiritually one. How does that make us more one? If anything, that should make me more disconnected to you. It's all Hashem. You're just a, you're just a prop. I'm a prop for you, you're a prop for me. So we have two pictures that seem very different, yet they're both true. How do we take these two perspectives on reality? and put them together to understand the whole picture. Do we appreciate the question? You think about relationships, people who really bother you, people who get under your skin, or someone you're not that friendly with, but yet you're just super jealous of them because if I only had that thing, if I only had that job, if I only had her husband, if I only had this kind of a family, right, clearly they never fight. Look, look at how normal their kids are. Why can't our kids be normal? Whatever we're looking at that might cause jealousy, that might cause anger, that might cause resentment, frustration, where is it coming from? Ultimately, it's coming from, I feel that I'm deserving of something that you have. You have something that belongs to me. And that's why, even though you're kind of nice to me, I really can't stand being around you because you just bother me. You have the life that I don't have. You have the car that I don't have. You have the job that I... Whatever it is that you have. You have the brain that I don't have. You have the personality that I would always love to have, but I'm not as outgoing as you are. When I feel that you have something that belongs to me, 
that is the source of all bitter and negative feelings I'll have towards you. If I believe in the first picture painted in Parshas Bahar, painted by the Rebbeinu Bahaya, painted by Hashem is in control of everything. So no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish, you didn't take the job from me. You didn't grab that position when I could have had it if you weren't there. You're just, you're, you're just a pawn. Hashem is moving all the pieces. Of course, we all have Bechira, and that's always the, 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 the question of life. How do we have free will? Be Hashem's in charge of any, everything. But the answer is, somehow it works out. So if I take away that factor, the factor that you're somehow getting something that I should have, all bitter feelings, all negative feelings will melt away. If I realize that you're a stranger just like I'm a stranger, you have your own world that I can't touch, and I have my own world that you can't touch, then I perhaps love you more because we're both strangers together. We're alone together. To quote from the famous Pasuk of Billy Joel, yes, they're sharing a drink of loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. The Rebbeinu Bachaya, when he is creating this cheshben, he is painting this meditation for us, he says, part of what I would do if I was living in a place where I didn't know anybody, and, and, the, and the master of the place was having compassion upon me, I would have a love for the stranger like me because we're all strangers together. We're all in our own world, just me and Hashem, just you and Hashem, just her and Hashem, but we're all in this together. And now I could love you more, and here's, it's almost counterintuitive, but it's so deep and it's so helpful. When I know that you can't really hurt me, and you can't take anything away from me, and they also know that you can't help me, then I could really love you. Now, obviously, if you can't hurt me, then I could feel better about what's going on. I can no longer say, you're making me angry. <laughs> She's not responsible for that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is setting up the situation. You've got to deal with it. You're making me upset. You're making me... No, she, she didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. This is what's being created for me. You're a player here. You're being directed. And if I also know that you can't help me, there are many levels of love, but if I feel you could give me pleasure, you could make me feel better about myself, you could, you could enhance my feeling of comfort and belonging, so then perhaps I like you and maybe I love you, but I'm loving you because I feel like I'm getting something for it. You're giving me something. If I have picture number one clear in my head that you can't hurt me and you can't help me, then it's possible to really love our fellow Jews and our fellow human beings because, you know what? We're all strangers together. You're trying, I'm trying, you make mistakes, I make mistakes, your mistakes aren't going to have any impact on me, and your love I appreciate, and I have Hakara Satov for you when you try to do wonderful things for me, but what actually comes my way, that's not based on you. So they're not two separate worlds. Superficially, they're two separate worlds, but when you put them together, they only coexist together. They're not two separate aspects of our Avodah Hashem. We have Bitachon, and then we have loving each other. 
they work together. Once we have bitachon, we know Hashem's in charge of everything, then I could really love you. Bli shum chelukim, without any difference, kamocha mamish. And this is what we read at the end of the Torah. The, uh, the Pasuk tells us, That the Jewish people, when they're together, then Hashem is the Melech. Then Hashem is really the king. And Rashi famously says, and now it's a song by Baruch Levine as well, Baruch Hashem, Rashi says, When the Jewish people come together with unity, and there's peace, and there's mutual respect between them, who Malcolm? Then Hashem is king. But not when there's arguments between us. So it's beautiful, and it's a wonderful song, but what is he talking about? When we're living in peace, then God is king. When we're fighting with each other, when there's a lack of shalom, then Hashem is not king. What does that mean? explains the Das Zakedim, and I think according to everything we've set up, we understand this now beautifully. The Das Zakedim says, If Klal Yisrael's Be'yachad, Be'achvavareyas, we're living with a sense of brotherhood and friendship, so then Hashem is king. Avul Bishas Machlokis, but if we're always, always trying to compete with each other and outdo each other, so then, Haim Osin, the Jewish people are, are living their lives. Ke'ilu ein ha'kadosh baruch melech aleihem. They're living their life as if Hashem is not really in control of everything. Meaning to say, when we live with peace and tranquility and love and respect, that's because we know, I don't have to be afraid of you. You're opening the store across the street, and now I'm really getting nervous. This could take away my parnasa. Now there are halachic issues that, that should be pursued. But if the halacha tells us that he's allowed to open that store there, if the halacha tells us they're allowed to open the yeshiva there, even though now we're petrified, we're going to lose enrollment. What are we going to do? It's a real serious problem. And it happens throughout the world. If the halacha says it's okay for them to do that, then I have to believe fully, listen Hashem, this is all you. I'm not going to gain or lose students. I'm not going to gain or lose business based on what they're doing. They can't touch me. So when we live with bitachon, then we can have real achtus. When we're living with unity, that's an indication that we believe Hashem's in control. The Rebbe Lazar Yudel Finkel was the great, he was the great Rosh Hashiva in the mirror in Europe and then later on in life in Eretz Yisrael. And he really built up the yeshiva Rav Lezer Yudel Finkel was the son of the altar of Slobodka, Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel. And towards the end of his life, when really the yeshiva was taking off, and he had some, some top bachrim, you know, young men who were really accomplished in learning, he told them all to go to the Briskerov, to learn under the Briskerov. Now that was a crazy dangerous move. You're basically sending your top people away. These are the guys that will build the yeshiva. These are the guys that are going to give you the reputation of being one of the elite yeshivas in the world. And you're sending them away to go learn with the briskerov? So many people who were in the yeshiva were bothered by this. And Rav Leza Yudel said, very simply, I think it's better for their learning. I think on their level, they would gain more from the briskerov than they would gain staying in the yeshiva.
What's going to happen with the yeshiva? I don't know, but that's, that's not going to make a difference sending these guys away. Hashem is in control of the yeshiva. I have to do what's best for my talmidim, and it's best for them to go elsewhere. In every relationship when it comes to parenting, why is parenting so frustrating sometimes? Because I feel the agmas nefesh. I, I feel all the stress. It's being caused by this little three-year-old thing. But that's not really true. This is being set up for me. This is all the challenge. He's a prop. He's a cute prop. Right now he's not that cute. Right? He's pretty annoying. But it's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu creating this elaborate system, giving me the Nisoyon that I need right here and right now. If we had that perspective, if we have painting number one hanging high in the wall, and we have painting number two, that once I understand Hashem's in control of everything, then I could love you. I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to be jealous. We don't have to be in competition. Then we can live a life of serenity, a life of peace. So, we're all strangers here, but that's why we love each other so incredibly much. We're all alone, but we're all alone together. A good Shabbos.